still seated on the throne. Mm -hmm. Come right. on. Everything's all right. Yep. You know? So peace yep, in the name of Jesus and us. Remember, Christ and Him crucified. Yep. Sometimes we know too much. Mm -hmm. We gotta seek to know not Christ and crucified. Give room. Let the Spirit of the Lord do His work. Give Him our own. That works. So Dr. Bob's gonna share tonight. Tuesday's faith and foundation. Thursday's practical profession. So, hey, come on, let's uh, give our ears and, and our attention. Let's let's receive. This is good and good. Up a little bit, so I can keep my own, Full house. Good to be with you. Last March, I was uh, in Costa Rica, done a conference. My wife zips down, and we spent a few days over on the coast in Costa Rica. And then everything started breaking loose, and we were supposed to start another conference on a Friday night. Uh, and our kids started hollering, you know, the borders are closing. We fly in and out of Vancouver. So anyway, we put her on an airplane and trot her home. And uh, about the time I got back from the airport, just before noon, pastor calls, and he says, uh, we just got through with our staff meeting. They have a fairly large church. It's a couple of thousand, but Central South America, they can get huge. Uh, and he said that we're really concerned, our pastors are concerned about all the COVID stuff, and let's try a virtual conference instead. So uh, can you come in and speak to the empty auditorium? <laughs> so, so I went in and did four messages back to back uh, while they filmed it all, and, uh, uh, and then caught a plane out 11 o'clock that night. Heading back home, I was supposed to be heading to see you. And uh, so got kind of cut off and had to head back to hunker down or whatever we've been doing for the last. <laughs> yeah. My wife and I were sitting in the hot tub the other day and, and looked at each other and said, hey, you, you realize in the last three and a half decades, this is the longest we've ever been at home? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, we didn't stay three months in the hot tub. It was, it was, <laughs> we did get out. <laughs> so we're really glad to be back with you. We nearly talked to Freddie today at lunch. We got him, but he couldn't hear us. But, you know, one of those things at the, at the restaurant, it wasn't that great a Wi-Fi. Everybody doing okay? Really, really good to see some of you. I look forward to catching up with you. I see some of you sitting next to people that you weren't sitting next to before and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, I, want to, I want to begin by asking you a question. How, how many seasons are there in, the, in a year? Supposedly four. <laughs> Most will say four. But I'm going to suggest to you they're actually five. Because the fifth season is the in-between seasons. You know, it, it's when you don't know whether to wear a shirt, a jacket, shorts, long pants, sandals, boots. And it's the most difficult season to navigate. Because 
it's difficult to ascertain what should be and what shouldn't be. In any journey, we have to leave some things behind. And the things you don't leave behind, that you should leave behind, they're the things that will compromise your journey and hinder you from getting to where you need to go. Y'all okay with that? Remember Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says, this most profound statement to this point, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So, I bring a word to this house that just possibly some of our struggles are not so much what we have or what we don't have, but are because of what we have not left behind. The minute your luggage is non-essential to the journey, it's no longer luggage. It has become baggage. Genesis 12.1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to a land which I will show you. So Abraham had to leave some things behind. Country, people, father's house. Three things which had incredible influence on his life. By, by the way, these are parallel to Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria in the remotest parts. That's another message for another time. Some of the things that we need to leave behind are not necessarily material things. They're things of influence, ways of doing things. For Abraham, it was a country, it was a people, it's the Father's house. But when we don't leave certain things behind, we get stuck like Abraham in a place called Haran. Heron is in between where you are and where you're supposed to be. And we frequently get stuck there because we have brought things with us that we should not have brought with us. So this season takes courage because it's a season where we have to divest ourselves of things that we've become attached to emotionally as well as historically connected. They're part of our history, part of our way of doing things, part of our past. So if we don't detach ourselves of the baggage, we'll never get to the place we're supposed to get. And we'll find ourselves struggling with the fifth season mentality. So we need to divest ourselves of our baggage. The Apostle Paul speaks to this point. 1 Corinthians 13. Now remember the context. 1 Corinthians 12, it's all about spiritual gifts, prophecy, all that stuff. Chapter 14 is about order in the local church, how to use these gifts so they don't produce chaos. And in the middle of these two chapters, we find chapter 13. Now, how many of you know that the reason Paul put chapter 13 in between 12 and 14, that was not an accident? Because in this incredible, spectacular chapter, Paul talks about the stuff that goes on in church, in communities of faith. All the stuff that we usually think is important, like prophecy, like spiritual gifts, all the things that we have invested our lives into to pursue, to attempt to make relevant. So he hits this spectacular note in the middle of this chapter, saying, in essence, I'm a little afraid you're going to be misled and put your emphasis on things that are not really of priority importance. 
So he says, you know, up to now, we've been talking about stuff, baggage, not the essential things to making the journey, extra things, stuff. So he writes 13, 13, 1 Corinthians. But now we have faith, hope, come on, and love. These three remain. But the greatest of these is love. These three remain. By the way, when you use the word remain, it infers that something has been taken away. So this is what's left. This is what remains. Literally, it's the definition for the word remain. It means these continue to exist after other things have been removed. Stuff. Baggage. So in 1 Corinthians 12... Paul uses this word, excuse me, 13, after talking about prophecy and tongues and healing and miracles and singing and worship. Chapter 14, this necessary order and structure for using the gifts so they don't result in chaos. Then in the middle of these two chapters, when you strip everything else away that is just stuff, now it might be important stuff, relevant stuff, likable and enjoyable stuff, but only three things remain. What are they? And love. And the greatest of these three is how many of you like to accumulate stuff? (laughs) We have some going like this, some going like this. (laughs) You know, the, the church is no different. Then we come to trust our stuff. We come to become obsessed with our stuff. And Paul wants us to get back to what really matters. I told my wife, I said, you know, the trouble with this message is that I have three different titles for it. The fifth season, what really matters, faith, hope, and love. Three things and only three things bring the kingdom of God into your life and into this world. Now remain faith, hope, and love. Okay, so what's faith? My, my definition would be this. The determined placement of belief and trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God. The determined placement of belief and trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. In the church, because of our stuff, we become obsessed with the power of God. So our approach to God has been focused on his power. Our God's mighty, our God is powerful, which is usually or frequently a reflection of our own needs because we feel very insecure. So we use this attribute, his power, to develop our own confidence and security. Mm-hmm. Now, y'all smile at me when I talk this way. This is, this, this is good. <laughs> now, I believe that God is, is an all-powerful God but I don't believe God wants you to put all your belief and trust in his power. I understand that God is love. And you'll also understand he wants us to direct our faith, not just towards his power, but towards his goodness and his faithfulness. Now, if you put all your belief and trust in the goodness and faithfulness, you will see his power work through his goodness and faithfulness as he communicates his deep love 
for us into our hearts. So again, my brief definition of faith, the determined placement of belief and trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So three things remain after you get rid of the stuff. Now, most of us understand love, but I see hope as kind of the middle child in a family. Any of y'all middle children? I have faith, love, and hope. Hope's the middle child. You know, and like many middle childs, sometimes they get slightly overlooked. Uh, it's the one that's sandwiched between the intensity of number one and the liberty of number three. <laughs> How many of you are number ones? Let's see the number ones. Yeah, yeah. How many of you are the baby? So you middle children know exactly what I'm talking about. But in reality, you know, we have faith, hope, and love. But for a lot of people, hope is kind of like a poor man's faith. Hope I don't get cancer. I hope I have enough money to, to make it. In Romans 4, it says, In hope against hope, Abraham believed, so that he might become the father of nations. One hope Abraham resisted and fought against, the other hope Abraham embraced and provided ingredients, and they, because they provided ingredients for his faith, and hope he believed. By the way, belief is the activity of faith. The hope that he embraced says he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, being fully assured that God was able to do what he promised. He's able to perform it. So it strengthens our trust in God's faithfulness. Y'all okay? Mm -hmm. But for the most part, people think of hope like a poor man's faith. Really, those are kind of confessions, negative confessions, aren't they? A declaration that we're just one step away from failure. That's the hope Abraham fought against. He resisted and fought that one. But the second hope was not a declaration or one step from failure. It was in contrast a confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken. You're taking notes, you need to write that down. What is hope? confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken. The hope that nurtured Abraham's faith was a confident expectation that the last word had not yet been, been spoken. It says he did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith, being fully assured that what God had promised he was able to perform. Being fully assured the last word had not yet been spoken. Things may not be looking too good, but I believe the last word has not yet been spoken. Mm -hmm. Things may not be looking too good with my job, but I believe that the last word has not yet been spoken. Mm -hmm. Things may not be looking too good in my relationships, but I believe that the last word has not yet been spoken. Can you see what a problem it is when you're not sure that there is another word? 
that there's anything more to come after this, we become hopeless. Because we don't understand what real hope is. Hope is the raw material that faith needs to work its wonders. You remember Hebrews 11.1? Now faith is the substance of things. So in the absence of hope, faith doesn't have any raw materials to work with. So where hope is not present, faith is not active. So many times we think we need more faith. The truth is, maybe you need more hope. Our faith cannot come alive because we don't have the raw materials to work with, which hope manufactures. The moment you embrace that the last word has not yet been spoken in your situation, you've placed your trust in the goodness and in the faithfulness of God. So without hope providing the raw materials, faith has nothing to convert into substance. Y'all okay? I see some steam coming out of some of your ears. That means your brain's working overtime. So it says, faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest of these is love. I think defining love sometimes is more difficult than it appears. Let me illustrate. How many of you are ever told God loves you in spite of who you are? Can you imagine trying to build a relationship on that? Laura and I just passed 44 years of marriage. Can you imagine me going to Laura and say, Laura, I love you. Will you marry me? She says, in what way do you love me? Honey, I love you in spite of who you are. <laughs> How many of you know that proposal is probably not going to work? No. <laughs> but if I said instead, honey, I love you because of who you are, that would produce instant connection. God doesn't love you in spite of who you are. He loves you, say it out loud, because. Because, because of who you are. Love is the because. Why does God do what he does? Because. Because he's love. Because he loves me. Why does God forgive? Because. Why does God accept us? Because. Love's not an accident. There is a because. It's not a requirement. Well, I love you because Jesus died on the cross. <laughs> love is the because. Love always looks at the story, not just the action. We've been guilty within communities of faith, looking at the action without knowing the person's story. Anything a person does, it's because of his story. You can't understand the action without knowing the story. When you only look at the action, you'll tend to judge and condemn. When you know the story, you tend to have compassion. You know what brought that person to that action. Love never labels us by what we do, but according to who we are. The people who brought to Jesus the woman caught in adultery, they called her an adulteress. When Jesus addressed her, he simply called her woman. It was a word of recognition that he had prepared to connect with her, not on a basis of what she was doing, but because of who she was. Mm -hmm. Because. 
in the same way that hope supplies the necessary ingredients for faith, love supplies the necessary ingredients for hope. If you do not know that you are loved because of who you are, then you'll never have the confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken. Because most of the time you're going to think, well, I don't deserve it anyway. Because it was my own stupid fault. And it may be, it probably is. (laughs) (laughs) But when you live under because love, you develop this confidence. A confidence that comes from the assurance that he loves me because of who I am and the last word has not yet been spoken. So the Apostle Paul writes in verse 13, he shares these in reverse order, faith, hope, and love, because without understanding of how much you're loved, it's impossible for you to have hope, and without hope, it's impossible for you to have faith. You get it? So all of this starts with us receiving the because love. So our problem is usually not faith deficiency, it's usually love deficiency. Remember, God is love. We are loved. Perfect love drives out fear. It's not faith that drives out fear. It's love. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And the one who fears is not perfected, completed in love. So when you begin to receive because love, in spite of what you've done, you'll begin to believe that the last word has actually not been spoken. Then you start putting your trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And you begin to believe that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Y'all okay? Mm -hmm. Why do you have love deficiencies? There's really two predominant love deficiencies. The first is the understanding of how much God loves you. Please let me free you from the idea that your relationship with God is dependent upon how much you love him. Mm-hmm. Nothing can be further from the truth, nothing. Mm-hmm. No matter how much you become able to love God, in no way will that enhance God's love for you. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change the love of God. Mm-hmm. One of the wrong ideas, again, in Christian terminology, is God loves you in spite of which means that you're no good, you're not up to much, you're a pitiful example of humanity, but God loves you in spite of (laughs) How wonderful. Here's the wonderful miracle. God loves me because of who I am. Did y'all say that out loud? Just confess it. God loves me because of who I am. Not because of what I do. He loves me because I'm unique and in his image. And if you understand that, it's incredibly powerful. You're able to look in the mirror and say, God loves me because I am me. So filling this love deficiency begins with you understanding how much God loves you and allowing that love to become a reality. Not fighting that love, not arguing with the one who loves you. And when you do that, that allows you to love you a little more. Doesn't mean you love everything about you. Doesn't mean you love everything that you do. But at the core, you can give yourself some value because you can't love others if you don't love yourself. 
I heard that somewhere. Remember Matthew 22? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, your love for your neighbor is actually a reflection of how much you love yourself. If you have a love deficiency, you're going to treat your neighbor the way you treat yourself. You'll believe about your neighbor what you believe about yourself. So when you believe you're loved by God and he loves you because of who you are, in spite of what you do, you'll love your neighbor because of who they are in spite of what they do, and the whole thing becomes faith expressing itself through love. Hopelessness is the most terrible, horrible thing. It means you wake up in the morning and you can't figure out how things are ever going to get better. But hope changes all that. But once you lose sight of love, hope cannot be present. So I want to encourage you to rest in the love that is yours. Begin there. Because when you're loved, what actually happens is you begin to realize that things might actually change because you're loved. And when you know who loves you, the hope even gets bigger. It's kind of like somebody being reconnected to a parent that they had been separated from at birth, only to realize and to find out that that parent is a billionaire. And you've been living in poverty, wondering where you're going to get your next meal, only to find out that that parent has everything you could ever hope for or want. And all of a sudden, hope begins to rise in your heart because you realize who your daddy is. When you start realizing who your daddy is, and how much he loves you, hope will rise in your heart. You're not stuck, you're freed. So if you lose sight of love, hope cannot be present. But once you get sight of love, hope begins to rise, and when hope begins to rise, faith begins to make substance of the things hoped for. Y'all getting this? One day Jesus is asked the foremost, what is the foremost greatest commandment? You remember? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. Notice he's telling them the most important thing in the Old Covenant. Mm -hmm. But even in the Old Covenant, there's an emphatic command to love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. The greatest thing you can do is love, even in the Old Covenant. But even doing your best, you're not going to succeed. Because this love you have has to come from a different criteria other than performance. That's the reason it's called the gospel. The good news. Why? Because you can't do it. (laughs) So Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you. Now watch this. That you love one another not as you love yourself, but that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and also you have loved one for one another. See, the model he's given is different than the old covenant model. You love as you loved yourself, and the new covenant model, you love because he's loved you. Yeah. And he loves you. Come on, say it. Because. Because. Of who you are in spite of what you do. He's taken out the standard of performance. And now he says, I love you because of who you are and not in spite of what you do. So in the new commandment, what's the measurement for loving one another? 
not how we love ourselves, but how he loves us. Amen. So Jesus is saying the only commandment that truly matters is faith expressing itself through love because love causes hope to rise. Hope gives faith Bible material, the raw materials to work with. And faith enables us to embrace a new reality that we've hoped for. You're only going to do that if the love you have experienced brings hope in you. And that hope produces faith. And in faith, you will love life. In faith, you'll love the world. In faith, you'll love in the midst of your circumstances. In faith, you'll love even when the storm is happening. I believe that these three things are the key to the journey we're on, guys and gals. Faith, hope, and love. They're our focus. We're to be a people expressing faith through hope and love. We're to bring people to faith, hope, and love. Because this is the stuff people need. They're looking for in this life, not all the other stuff, especially the religious stuff. But we want people to have some faith come up in their hearts. We want people to have a sense of hope when they come in here. We want people to feel love not just by us, but by Daddy. Let me finish with this. John 13, 35. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples, Jesus said. What's the qualifier? By the way you look if you have love for one another. What kind of love? Because. We love because he first loved us. A love that springs up from experiencing the Father's love. So I want to ask you a question. If by all of this expression of love, not, not, not from our Facebook friends, followers, or on Twitter, I mean the genuine, unbreakable love that pervades itself with hope, that works through faith, which binds us together, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. So my question is, whose disciple are you? We can be disciples of religious practices. We can be disciples of our upbringing, of our background, of our theology, of our system of beliefs. But Jesus said, really, guys and gals, there's only one measure of being his disciple. It's your outward love. Because that type of love binds us together. It's that unbreakable glue that feeds hope. A hope that creates raw material, that faith take hold, takes hold of it and says, I'm going to turn that into substance. A faith that produces, cre cre produces creative words that when we breathe them out, a faith that embraces a new reality. If you understand this evening that he loves you because as we begin to speak from that love, hope and faith, will rise up. And the same power that created all of this universe will flow out of us because we're in the image and the likeness of God. So what really matters to you? Now abide faith, hope, and love.
after you shake away all the stuff, the baggage. But the greatest is love. And when we realize that, it changes how we love ourselves. That changes who we are. And we begin to do what we do because of who we are rather than doing what we do to become. Y'all okay? Mm -hmm. Turn to the person beside you and tell them God loves you because of who you are. And in spite of what you do. And in spite of what you do. <laughs> yes.